You're listening to the Skylight Books Podcast. We're an independent, general interest bookstore putting great reads in the hands of people in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles. Hosted by resident Skylighters, we're here to bring you new and exciting author conversations, group reads, and bookseller chats. Happy listening. Hello and welcome uh, to the final episode in the Skylit series, um, a very special series about LA literature. My name is Emily Vancanet. I'm Elena Saunders. Welcome. (laughs) And today we're here to discuss uh, the book, The White Boy Shuffle by Paul Beattie. Beattie? Beattie. Beattie. I think, yeah. yes. I think I'm overcomplicating it. <laughs> yeah, I think we're we might start be. spinning out. It's the last episode. It's we're the last very episode. Very stressed. Yes, very stressed. Um, but yeah, so just jumping right into it, White Boy Shuffle is the first novel from Paul Beattie, who goes on in life. He's still in life. He's still there. Um, uh, to win the man Booker. He's the first American to win the man Booker. Yeah, for I the sellout, because, right? Yeah, because yeah. I guess Marlon James is technically Jamaican, even though he... Oh, right, right, yeah. right. Okay, yeah. So, for, yeah. And the, But before the White Boy Shuffle, he published a couple books of poetry. Yes. Um. Yeah, which I was like, Yeah, so originally a poet, two collections out in the world. He then, in 1996, published the White Boy Shuffle. Yeah. Um. And we're here to talk about that book today. Yeah. So, Emily, how would you describe okay. White Boy Shuffle? White Boy Shuffle is this book about a young man. It's a coming-of-age story set in L.A. He begins in Santa Monica, and then he moves to West L.A. when his mom is like, you need to live with other Black people mm-hmm. because he's living like this white surfer boy existence. He's Black. So that is also important, very important to this book. <laughs> but it's a book about um, him coming of age in this like community that he really didn't seem to fit in. And eventually he becomes a poet, a basketball star, and like a leader of a political movement. Yeah. Um, he's like a voice for people in his community and finds like fame across the country. I think that's what it's about. It's about a lot of things. What do you think it's about? Yeah, no, that was a really good way of describing it. Um, this book <laughs> like, is like, it's so good. It's so fun to read. And um, like the thing I was thinking most about when I was reading this book is I was like, what exactly, like how would you categorize this book? Because it, it doesn't seem like it's trying to be any one thing, which is what yeah. I really love about it. You know, like um, it, it's like, extremely funny yeah which allows so it to be like very moving mm-hmm. at certain points um but I was also really struck by like the like the use of language and like you can just tell that Paul Beatty like is just such a master of language mm-hmm. you know and like really cares about it uh, which is something that I really like it really drew me into this book from basically like the first line it's like the energy is there. Okay, now I'm getting a, like you're getting ahead of yourself. I'm getting really ahead of myself. What is this but, book about, Elena? That um, was the question. Yes. Okay. Coming <laughs> of age of uh, Gunner. Gunner Kaufman, Gunner who comes Kaufman. from like a long lineage of 
uncle time tom type characters yeah 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 um so like race betrayers essentially yeah which yeah which i also am saying that and i'm thinking about the line in the book where he's like white people love to use the phrase yes and it's like white people betray white people all the time all the time and there's like no designated term for for it (laughs) so here i am saying uncle tom like god paul beauty me for this yeah (laughs) um yeah, I know. I always, okay, whenever I'm trying to recommend a book to someone, I always have like, or when somebody asks me like, what's this book about? I'm always like, uh. Yeah, it's hard. Like, I don't know, but I just know that I enjoyed the experience of reading this yeah. book. And so like, that's how I feel with this book. I'm like, it is like a coming of age story. It's it's comedic, it's moving. It's, there's like, you know, um, moments of historical significance mm-hmm. in the book. Uh but like that's like I wouldn't I would have trouble describing it as any one thing right exactly and I think it's like it is satire but it's also not like a complete satire like it's not yeah no I wouldn't even full yeah like he's satirizing aspects I think of like the black experience I think he writes more satire in some of his other work also but yeah. It's like that level of comedy. But yeah, if somebody's like, I'm looking for a funny book, I'm like, this book is so funny. It's but like, so funny. Would I say it's like a purely funny book? No. Yeah. I wouldn't be like, if somebody asked me for a funny book, I would like maybe hesitate. Like, I'm like, if you like dark humor, this is for you for sure. Totally, totally, totally. But if you're looking for a light, fun time, I'd be like a little scared. Yeah. So no. like recommend it. Yeah. Same. But I would still just be like, well, take yeah. it because it's amazing. Because it's amazing. You have to read it. But you're right. Because he does, uh, BD does like dip his toe into like satire, like throughout, like in places throughout the book. Yeah. But I would not call this book a satire. Yeah. I think it's like the types of humor is like, it's close to satire. It's dark it's dark yeah like he is does like reference Richard Pryor a fair amount and so it's kind yeah. of like that realm of writing yeah 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 exactly um, yeah why did we pick this book Elena um we picked this book uh I believe because we were talking about um well we were because we had just come off of Acosta right yeah. with that kind of political movement and I think um, we were like looking for like the final chapter of this because this is the final episode of this season yeah kind of the final chapter and like so this lands it's set around 92 it's yeah the, this year 2022 is the 30th anniversary of Rod- the Rodney King riots yeah. yeah and there is a dedicated part of this book to yes. the Rodney King riots yeah it's so much smaller than I thought. Yeah, which is something that I really loved and that like we talked about a little bit um, before we started recording, but like the way that um, it's represented in the book is very like, it's just, it kind of plays into like real, like how we experience, in, how, the, how we experience these kind of historic moments mm-hmm. um, in real life, which is like, even if you're kind of in, the neighborhood or in the vicinity of this like massive thing that's happening you don't necessarily like it's not like the main part of your life you know what I'm saying does that make any I feel like I said it better before totally I think that makes full sense and it's like in the book Gunner is at basketball practice and his coach is like keeping him super late um because he's like the second you go out there you guys are going to become revolutionaries it's going to like 
right alter yeah, your yeah, life yeah. which it really truly does in many ways like gunner goes and there's so much that happens and it's like such a small section yes and it's like mainly what happens is they take part in the looting him and his best friend scoby um and so he has two best friends in the book scoby and paco loco who are like we're going to touch on this also but they're his best friends they're really important to him and they're like very much help define him as a person um but yeah they go and they steal this safe like first him and scoby are like trying to find anything to loot because looting is fun yeah and then they go and like um they, they meet up with one of Psycho Loco's Yeah, so they like meet up with Psycho Loco's in a gang, obviously, it's and, Psycho Loco, <laughs> but like, um, and- And they're like, can you drive us home? They're like, no, no time. And so they go yeah. to meet up with Psycho Loco, and who's was, gotten this safe. Yeah, he's yeah. Got, getting this safe that he's been plotting to steal for nine years. And <laughs> they're stealing the safe. And like, this is their whole thing during like this big major like historic moment. And they have like a, a nice moment where they like watch it all on the TV. And Gunner has like a moment of like an epiphany of like, there's no way these like cops are getting away with like everything, like yeah. everything. They're yeah. not, they're not, there's not one charge against them. And then so he goes looting. And then at the very end of it, his dad, who works for the LAPD as a sketch artist mm-hmm. and is um, an Uncle Tom type character, as like every Kaufman man is. Mm-hmm. Um, like shoots him with a rubber bullet while he's stealing this safe and like he goes to a coma yeah and like beats him up yeah like beats him up his own son and so i think like that while it's a small moment in the book yeah is like a huge moment in gunner's life that pushes him towards being the revolutionary figure he'll be later in life yeah i think it so like too. makes him fully reject white society in like a way yeah i also think like just to and his father yeah and definitely his father for sure but um, hates his dad after that i also thought like that moment is so uh it's so moving because like throughout the book the use of like uh violence is almost always tangled up with comedy mm-hmm. you know but at that point that's kind of the that's like one of the very few moments where it really isn't yeah it just like seems it's just like it's just like very tragic you yeah know? like there's funny things about the looting for sure but like and that like and so you're like moment. yeah but that moment it's yeah. just like yeah you just like I think you experience alongside him like he like pops out to distract his dad yeah he like hears his dad and it's just like a really big oh fuck moment yeah 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 yeah, and yeah. it's really tragic and you know yeah he's had uh, a complicated relationship with his dad who's kind of estranged and also wants him to be behaving a certain way yeah and this isn't to say that like Gunner has had so many run-ins with the law before that yeah I think he's just like the ways in which like the cops have pursued him is like because he is like a young black man and yeah um they're on he had had like when he was living in santa monica had had kerfuffles with like beach police right 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 yeah exactly and yeah so he's like towing the line yeah but there's like yeah you're right that it's like it's so everything is so funny in that moment is 
that moment is like really serious yeah and there's like a few other moments like that in the book where like and that's what I think is so masterful is like you know because I feel like any like a, a lot of lesser writers would be writing in one like they this story could have been written in one tone yeah um which would have changed the entire thing and made it completely like not interesting but the way that like the way that this book is so many different things is what keeps the energy in the book moving forward mm-hmm. you yeah know it's, what I mean? the writing is so energetic and it feels like almost like thinking about it like like a song it's like that point in the book would be like the drums drop out or something and then it's just like just this other thing like it's just like one aspect of the many layers of his writing is like suddenly yeah gone yeah it's like really astounding to actually look at like as a person who wants to write Mm -hmm. you know to be like oh wow that is like mastery yeah really to be able to be that funny and then turn and be like that moving mm-hmm. you know like because yeah I mean it's just really it's just it's, oh, I just love this book I really think this so I funny. yeah I'm like I could not recommend this book more can I read my favorite funny violent part yeah read your favorite funny violent part okay so this is um Psycho Loco yeah so Psycho Loco is one of Gunner's best friends who he meets upon moving to this that when he his mom moves them out of Santa Monica to the more black neighborhood hillside yeah. he moves in like next door basically yeah and I, I'm honestly having trouble remembering what <laughs> what part I just marked it because I thought like the actual line to line was so well yeah. written and so funny um, but I think Psycho Loco is talking to his fellow gang members about leaving the gang um, oh he's like mad that he he's the only to, one he's the one that only kills all the time yeah he's the only one kind of like holding he, oh, up the it's reputation like, always for, like a vengeance killing and also oh my god what is their name of their, the gang um oh the the who uh gundo gundo and hoodlums hooligans hooligans gundo and hooligans but they don't carry guns yeah they only use like <laughs> bows and arrows it's they like really bows weird and arrows yeah. and spears which i fucking love it's yeah, so, so like, it's so good yeah um okay so yeah so this is when uh you know he's kind of like i'm gonna leave whatever so psycho loco went into his proud drunken warrior tirade what do you mean we every time one of us gets capped who does the revenge killing my ass when i first moved here you motherfuckers were scared of every vato on the block especially raymond keniston juan julio juan julio raymond took my money raymond threw my bike off the roof raymond threw my father into the garbage truck <laughs> punk ass yellow rat bastard joe shenanigans when raymond stepped on your pet frog Kermie, on purpose did i make him eat it and every fly that landed on your screen door for two weeks oh my god like it's so funny it's so funny through my through my dad into the gra- into the garbage truck yeah like oh my god. so funny yeah um and I just like love and that. it makes it like yeah it's like he befriends this dude who's like been to prison and yeah. he's like 15 like when like Gunnar yeah. there, he's like 15 and he befriends this dude who's like been to prison because he thinks like Pacaloco thinks he's funny and can tell he's very smart. Yeah. Yeah. I think like Gunner learns how to navigate the world in a way that he's like, okay, like these are my strengths. I'm super smart. Yeah. And like willing to try anything. Like he's, it's not that he makes a fool of himself, but it's like, 
almost that he has a sense of like comedic timing or like has a sense of like yeah performance about him because like everything he does he's like does it with like his whole heart like the first time he slam dunks he's like never played basketball before in his life but he's like okay I learned like these two things one time yeah 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 I know not to like dribble with both hands yeah the way and I like know that if I jump up in the air and I come back down with a ball then that's traveling so he like jumps up in the air and his like legs are like yeah moving. I, I'm, I'm doing something that's bad for podcasts I'm yeah. waving my hands back and forth um there his his legs are like kicking he's kicking he's like yeah. swimming through the air and then he like lands and dunks yeah and it changes his life forever yeah and there are like several moments in the book where he does these things like even like meeting Paco Loco and meeting Nick Scobie, his other best friend that are like changed his life forever because he just like finally like hits the right like blend of like his reference points. Well, it's kind of like this weird thing that I think everybody hopefully goes through at one point in their life where like the first half of this book, he spends so much time kind of trying to figure out how to fit in to whatever community he's kind of he's in at the time yeah. you know whether that's Santa Monica or Hillside and then like my feeling about it is at a certain point he's kind of just like yeah like when he meets Scobie it's like he's being very um, this feels so LA but I'm like very authentically himself you know yeah. like he's in the drama drama club I yeah, think or like whatever like doing Shakespearean shit yeah and um and I think that that's like and so then eventually like in the in the book he kind of stops trying to mold himself um in which like yeah he, he like stops trying to mold himself into what he thinks he should be and yeah just becomes like, what he always like he, is yeah it's like I think his move the forced move from Santa Monica to Hillside like while him and his sisters at first were like so like terrified for themselves and like didn't see themselves doing it I think he like I mean, in many ways, I wonder if it, like, helps him break that, like, the legend of who he could have been. Like, he hmm. could have been comfortable as a Kaufman forever being kind of, like, assimilating into white culture. Yeah. And instead, he moves to this, like, community that I think he finds so much in, like, and finds the, like, the heart of who he is. And, like, in the moments, like, with the cops and in the moments with, like where he starts to see what's really wrong with America and being black in America, that's where he starts to learn how to be like, I don't know, it's like his perspective, like is able to then create this like collection of poetry that he publishes and like all this, he becomes the revolutionary figure that he needs to be to like break the like cycle of, like the Kaufman man yeah well just as a side note um one thing I really appreciate about this book and the writing is like you know like he has that moment where he slam dunks for the first like the first time he plays basketball he's like already kind of a legend yeah um, like immediately he like yeah immediately goes back he does to, it. like they'd skipped skipped out on lunch to do it and yeah then- the principal finds out and he's like, but did you really dunk? Yeah. And he's like, oh, now I'm going to get like kind of a free pass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. that's like. But like, I love, and like, even when he writes, like there's that long poem he writes and then he puts it up on, the- he writes it up on the wall or like yeah. spray paints it up on the wall or whatever. Um, And the fact that like, there's no 
technical explanation of like they're like the author doesn't feel the need to be like and I was so good at basketball because I like I I don't know like whatever you know or like yeah. I and I paint I don't know why the the painting of that like giant poem on the wall like there was no description of him doing it he just said like and then I went and put it on the wall yeah there's so many things that happen within like two paragraphs and yeah. then you just like cut to something else and like in a way that it could be disjointing I think it's like absolutely not like I think it yeah and that's what's like so impressive about it is you could be like well how did he how did he do that but you yeah. just accept it because it's part it yeah. just makes I don't know it just make makes sense and I think that like if you if Paul Beatty were to have like taken time to be like this is why I'm so good at basketball or like and this is how I I got this ladder and I went and got paint and like that would slow down like things that like lesser writers would be like I'll, I have to explain this. Yeah. I have to explain how this happened. Right, the like minutia and mechanics of things. Yeah, exactly. There's no need for it because like also he's built this character in Gunner that's just like yeah, ballsy. Yeah. And like and he's also built this world that is just like it is totally the world but it all is also a little bit off, you know what yeah. I mean? We're like It's like a caricature in some ways. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like the fact that the gun tote and hooligans don't are like a gang that uses arrows and bows and spears yeah like that's really like funny but you can kind of just accept it you know I don't know why yeah you're like okay yeah in this this world yeah Yeah. so it's like it's 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 very like interesting the more I think about this book the more I'm just like wow this is like masterful it's masterful one of the scenes I find the funniest is like when he is starting to get scouted by colleges Mm -hmm. and he some like do ex-alum from or I guess it's not an ex-alum an alum from Harvard an alum from Harvard is like interviewing him and like wooing him oh yeah and takes him to his like fancy house and like Hillside's not a real neighborhood yeah it's like a fictitious neighborhood and there's a big wall built so it feels very separate yeah um from the rest of it's in West LA but it's still you know it's not bougie West LA, but very close to it. As like a lot of neighborhoods in LA are like, right? Like you're yeah. just right up against you're com- each other. Yeah, like, I mean like, a, yeah, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yup. Uh, and so this dude like basically <laughs> lives at the top of the hill from Gunner and is like shit talking his neighborhood without like any awareness that Gunner lives there. Yeah. And they're like talking, he's like, man, once you go to Harvard and you get in, We'll start going rock climbing together. And Gunnar is just like, man, fuck this dude. This is so terrible. Yeah. I hate this man. He's so stupid. Um, it's like another black man too. And he's just like seeing him for being a fool. Yeah. And he literally, the dude like sets him up so he could like go rappelling off the little wall of his house. And instead Gunnar is just like, bye. bye and like rappels <laughs> all the way home. Like he's like, I do live in Hillside. I do live in hell. Yeah. And I'm going to repel my ass back there. Bye. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, it's just like so funny and ridiculous. And like, you kind of feel like, like when that part happened, I was like, wait, what? Yeah. (laughs) Is he really doing that? That's, yeah. And then, but then you like so easily can just like accept it as like, okay, that's just, that's happening. And it's, I don't know, it's really good. There's so many moments of absurdism. Like he gets married. Yes. In a in the blink of an eye, he's married. Oh my god. With a mail order bride. Yeah. Who's the best? I love her. Yeah. She's amazing. The second that she sticks her hand up his ass. Oh my god. I was like, this is love. So good. So this is perfect. Yeah. Okay. So what did um what did you make of 
the ending. Yeah, so I think, like, kind of to walk everyone towards the end. Yeah. Because so much happens in this book, it's hard for us to kind of, like, get to all the like while we're saying there's like the minutia isn't there he's like working us the whole time totally um yeah. so i think to preface yeah as we said gunner starts writing poems when he's 13 yeah he's a poet somehow he's getting published throughout the world yeah which i also love that that's just like kind of mentioned on like it's not like it's not like the main thing in his life you know what i mean yeah. like that's just kind of but he sells he, like, 126 million copies of his poetry collection yeah watermelon in love it um and so he goes off to after getting scouted for colleges he decides to go to boston university mm-hmm. um goes out there with his wife and with nicholas scobie yeah and um you know he's like working through a lot and his time there and ultimately during a speech at like a rally Mm -hmm. tells everyone that um the like answer for freedom as black people is suicide yeah um and i'm gonna just read because it's a concept that's like introduced at the beginning yeah and so i forgot about it totally until we got there yeah yeah yeah. you mean like in the prologue or whatever yeah, yeah. introduced in the prologue so you know that he's going to be like the messiah for black people um but yeah i'm going to read this paragraph because i think it i thought about it throughout the book obviously okay so it says in the quest for equality black folks have tried everything we've begged revolted entertained intermarried and are still treated like shit Nothing works. So why suffer the slow deaths of toxic addiction and the American work ethic when the immediate gratification of suicide awaits? In glorious defiance of the survival instinct, Negroes stream into Hillside, California like lemmings. Every day they wishfully look heavenward, peering into the California smog for a metallic gray atomic dot that will gradually expand until it explodes some 1,000 feet over our natural and processed heads. It will be the emancipation disintegration. Lunch counters, bus seats, and executive washrooms be damned. Our mass suicide will be the ultimate sit-in. And so it's like like a kamikaze effort, right? Mm -hmm. And so he says this, and like suddenly people all over the country start killing themselves. And then he's like, okay. And like people are like, don't you feel fucked up about it? And he's like, no. I don't feel bad about having people commit suicide because I told them to. Yeah. Um, send me your death poems. Love. And then that so part. people start sending him their death poems. Yeah. I'm like, obviously, I feel complicated about mass suicide of on a, a realistic level. Of course. But there's something so beautiful in this book about the way um, it's done. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that was like, like Scobie's like a cool dude. Yeah, he's listening to every great like black artist from A to Z. Yeah, yeah, which is yeah. so good. And also, he is also a basketball player. He's the one who gets Gunner to play basketball for the first time, and also has never missed. Yeah, his a whole shock. thing is he's never missed. And this like great thing they talk about in the book. I mean, it's great and tragic, but he is great 
when they first start playing together on a team, but then people start noticing how great is he is and he hates it. Yeah. And then when they play together in college, the same thing happens is he starts getting all this notoriety because he never misses. There's like scientists going to the games to figure out how he never misses. Yeah, like, he's kind of poked and prodded and, and like he studied. he just feels and... like on display. Yeah. And they like talk about how like, if you're a white artist, you could vanish into obscurity like J.D. Salinger. Like you could you could go hide in the woods, but mm-hmm. that's not an option as a black artist. Yeah. I like immediately thought about Frank Ocean um, mm. and just like how impossible it is to, yeah, like vanish. Yeah. Um, into like to be able to produce an obscurity. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, and you can't. And I like it starts to drive him crazy. And so I yeah. think that's like a huge, like, I think in that way, suicide, it's just like, it's like, there are these things like both with his dad and with Scobie where I'm like, not to romanticize suicide, but it must've been a great relief. Yeah. To be free of those yeah. things. And I think that's the point of this, like, not a suicide pact, but like the mass suicide. Yeah. I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a really good read on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess I hadn't really considered the relief part. I think that's like, Cause it's like, otherwise you're still existing in this very white world. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. I think that's the concept, right. Is that you're like, will be free of it and they can't like, yeah. Yeah. White people, why us white people can't stop yeah. them anymore. Yeah. I, oh, my brain is shutting yeah, down. Yeah, no, I'm like, I'm I like, think I'm, that's really I'm, it. Yeah. I mean, it's like, obviously I feel like we could talk about this for so long for so long but um but But i think we covered everything i think yeah and i think in closing on this book i think if you're looking for something insightful about this country Mm -hmm. i think it is insightful about la in that while it's a lot about just straight about gunner and his coming of age he's like a great lens for LA in a lot of ways yeah I think it's like a specific I think it's like a specific black experience of LA and it makes me think a lot about um how LA LA is trying tries to erase black communities Mm. um and how these neighborhoods aren't celebrated for like the richness that they have and like even at the end when they're talking about the mass suicide like basically wiping themselves off the map before the government could wipe them off the map yeah they're doing it by their own hand i think it speaks so clearly to like la and la history and la history in the 90s la history now yeah that's not history but you know (laughs) la at at what it is now like not celebrating now, this not being like the a thing we talk about a lot. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like a place we talk about a lot. Yeah. Not without like fear or like. Yeah. Know, like, yeah. No. Like tropes and stereotypes of like total cliches. Yeah. South LA without any depth. You know. Yeah. It's always like a very surface level conversation about without any. And, like, yeah. And there's no like depth or nuance to any of it. It's just like painted as one you know painted in whatever cut that yeah. part make I don't know what I'm trying to say no I think um right like it's it's painted 
in one way and even like by shrinking the Rodney King aspect of it and expanding other parts of life I think you see like a wider scope like yeah 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 exactly of like life yeah it's life and I think this is just like a beautiful portrait of life and then in turn death but it makes me it does make me think really heavily about um yeah like communities that this city is trying to erase essentially (laughs) yeah totally yeah Yeah, I agree with that um and while it's not overtly that I do think Paul Beatty doesn't do anything by accident definitely not so I think it's so there yeah that way yeah I agree I agree yeah um cool cool thank you Elena thanks Emily We are joined on this episode with author Steph Cha, uh, who is the author of Your House Will Pay, uh, winner of the Los Angeles Times Book Prize and the California Book Award and the Juniper Song Crime Trilogy. She's a critic whose work has appeared in the Los Angeles Times, USA Today, and the Los Angeles Review of Books, where she served as noir editor and is the current series editor of the Best American Mystery and Suspense Anthology. A native of the San Fernando Valley, she lives in Los Angeles with her family. Welcome, Steph. Hey, thank you for having me. Yeah, so happy to have you. Um, yeah, I think we, when talking about like who to invite on this this episode, you were like a clear potential person just because um, your book, Your House Will Pay, deals so much with the 90s and with race in LA. Um, that it really parallels so much of white boy shuffle, um, but in like a fully different context, right? Um, yeah, so, I could be funny about anything. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no basketball in your book. I, I think is there no basketball in your book? I no, there's no basketball. I could no not basketball. Really <laughs> about basketball. Yeah, those guys could be out there playing basketball. Um, so what what is your your relationship with with white boy shuffle and and Paul Beatty's uh, writing? I read um, White Boy Shelf in 2015. At the time, actually, now that I think about it, um, I had recently started writing Your House Will Pay. And then, um, and then I met him. He did a, a Skylight event, actually, um, where um, he, was, uh, he was talking about the sellout. This was before the sellout became the publishing phenomenon that it became. So it was like a, you know, it was like a well-attended, but not like super crowded event. Um, and I ended up talking to him for a little bit and, uh, and he's, he's obviously an awesome guy. He's very, uh, he, he's, he's very like soft-spoken and like, not like kind of in your face and obviously like incredibly smart. Um, he, he was, uh, he, he was in conversation with, um, she wrote Caucasia, Dana. Oh. Um, wow, I should really, I should really know that. Yeah, um, also, and I don't. So anyway, I read, <laughs> I read the I read the sellout after afterwards, but I I, had, I went after I had read um, read White Boy Shuffle, and um, you know, I was like kind of fanning out. Um, 
And, you know, I, I, I think I probably read it in part because um, it lined up with, you know, things that I was interested in reading about, you know, in my own research, but also because I, it, it showed up um, on some map. I seen one of those kind of cool infographics that I'm always a sucker for about like one book from each state. And that was the one from California or Southern California. And I was like, oh, I haven't read this. I should check it out. Um, and, you know, Anytime you open up a book that's kind of like you don't know what to expect, and I try not to, I try not to know going in. Um, it's it's always a surprise when it's it's a book like this, you know, like an all timer, um, and uh, it, it's just it, it's just such an amazing novel. It's the kind of novel that um, I can't imagine writing um, or being able to write or knowing someone who's able to write it. Um, it's an incredible piece of work that feels like, you know what it feels, it, it always felt like to me was, um, you know, the kind of zaniness um, and energy of Invisible Man, um, but funny on every page, um, tight and funny on every line. Um, you know, the poetry in it, you know, this was his first novel and he, his, his background is as a poet. Um, it's just incredible. I mean, whatever he's writing about, you know, I opened it up uh, last night um, to prepare for this. And I was just, it's just getting sucked in by the language. I mean, it just, it moves so rapidly, you know, it's actually very, very easy to consume um, because the, it's, the rhythm of it is just so energetic and, um, and it, you get really drawn in um, just by the way that the the words move and uh, the lines are arranged. And, um, you know, no matter what he's talking about, there are laugh lines everywhere that are really dry. Um, and it's just a, it's just a wonderful book. Um, you know, I think uh, I like to read novels by poets here and there. Um, I find sometimes that I'm looking for the novel part, you know, and I feel like this gives best of everything, which is that it holds together as a work of fiction with like a very forceful story, um, you know, and then of course it meanders, but the meandering is very interesting and kind of fo and focused um, in a, in at least thematic way, you know, by this story of Gunnar Hoffman. And, uh, and then it has all that you know, just tight, fascinating, frequently surprising language. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I think it's undeniable his use of language in this book. Yeah. And you're right. Like, it's not indulgent in places where, like, I think other, where poets would otherwise be. Um, and it moves so well. Yeah, it really takes, like, kind of the the care of language that poets tend to have and then combines it with the best like narrative kind of force that novels tend to have and brings it together and it's really just like it was you're right it's like such a joy to read because it's so energetic like when I uh I read it like the day before we recorded and I was like okay I'm just gonna read this book and I couldn't put it down and every time I had to put it down to like take care of my dog I was like okay let's just get this done so I can get back to reading because it's just so like the language is so energetic and moves it along so well you yeah. Know, so good. Yeah. 
Yeah, and he's like crafted this leading man that's like fascinating and it's not quite a hero's journey, but he's like living out like, you know, he's going to, I mean, he becomes like a messiah. So in a way it is, but, um, you know, you're poetry. going, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, the messiah of poetry and black people in LA. What did you like make of the LA-ness of it all in this book? Like, how did you relate to how he created um, this community of Hillside and like other, other aspects of portraying LA throughout the book? Yeah, you know, Paul Beatty lives in New York and he has for a very long time. I think that he is um, staunchly a New Yorker now. He's not ever coming back here. Um, but, he, you know, this book and the sellout are very, very um, specific to Los Angeles and the surrounding areas. Um, and um, and I and the kind of um, I think Hills, you know, Hillside is kind of a made up place that stands in for other neighborhoods and in in uh in in the sellout there's an unincorporated area or like a separately incorporated area that's right outside LA and it has that feel of like of South LA of kind of um exurban LA um and it is very recognizable um and I love the story of the you know the the kind of in-betweener character who goes from who goes from Santa Monica like skate skate culture to you know the south central culture and is kind of more comfortable in some ways with the white people and and I mean just the geography of it um you know and the way that it tracks um how he shuffles around with his identity um is 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 very cool and also very LA. You know, I think um, part of it is like you know, LA now more so than nineties, but um, LA is not a very black place anymore. You know, um, and so that felt uh, I, I don't know that that rang really true to me, um, and just the kind of uh, the the way that a kid growing up a black kid growing up in like a mostly white neighborhood would kind of react to segregation and um and just that kind of bounce between worlds um it had a real um you know it it, it has that texture of reality even though it's like absurd constantly you know um it's it it's i think that like there are a lot of versions of this book and a lot of versions on that theme that uh, that we see um, in in kind of identity focused literature and um, and I think a lot of the times it feels really angsty um, and that's not a bad thing. Um, I write about like I write about like immigrant family angst and stuff like that all the time. Um, but he is able to kind of take the pressure off that angst um just because he's so funny <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah I think it's like the he builds the, the like the dark humor it envelops a lot of that in a way like by making it so funny that angst gets channeled more into humor rather than I think how we see a lot of like identity politic type books being written mm -hmm. um and that's, I think, one of the, the more fascinating things about it. 
And I'm curious about like in your own writing about how you, especially with like your household pay, how you craft these characters. Uh, like I think I was reading an interview about you and you're, uh, you were talking about, you know, wanting to move away from like classic stereotypes, of course. And um, how do you like go about approaching like, yeah, not like exploiting a character or like creating a character that challenges stereotypes or is like its own full person while addressing these like really heavy topics about race. Yeah, I think my characters tend to be, you know, especially in your house will pay. I don't avoid archetype, you know, like um, my Korean family has, a, they have like a liquor store in their background. Um, you know, I wanted to write about black men who have been incarcerated um and uh, and you know there are there is baggage that goes with those archetypes right and um but i also feel like if you avoid archetype too self-consciously then you you miss out on like the opportunity to write about the way that people live um because you know for example like that kind of Korean family, like that's that 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 that's like a very common experience um, in 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 that community, right? And um, and and yeah, a lot of black men go to jail for various reasons, and you know that's something that I wanted to be able to contrast with the fact that you know Sunjadu never went to jail, um, and uh, so once you know that you're dealing with archetype, uh, it is extra important to avoid falling into stereotype. Um, and the way that I do that at least, and I think that the way that most writers are able to do it is you treat your characters like individuals, um, you know, just like you would people in the real world, right? Um, you know, hopefully uh, you give them their own agency. You have them care about things that are that are particular to them rather than, you know, solely driven by, you know, their position in society or in their community. Um, and so for me, that comes from a really tight focus on family because I think that family dynamics are always really individual um, and really specific. Um, and so, you know, for example, like the, uh, the relate the particular relationships that Sean has, you know, and, and Sean was a lot harder for me to write than Grace, who's a Korean American woman, you know, Sean's a black guy. Um, you know, the, the way that I really got to know him and, uh, and give him like the feeling of a real person was by diving into, you know, the people that he cared about and the particular ways that he relates to them you know, the kind of tensions within that family, um, his desires, you know, if you start thinking about people and their individual desires, um, it's hard to stay in the generalities um, because people want such specific things and, um, and the way they get them or the way they're denied them, you know, obviously those intersect with the broader currents of society, um, but they tend to be pretty rooted in who the characters are. Yeah, definitely. That I was reading something about and reading about this book just about how 
I think like every story about race is like a kaleidoscope. And so like, no matter where you like put it, it's going to like fracture and look different um, because of course everyone is an individual. So it's going to, everyone's going to carry that differently. Um, and so it's really interesting to see both your book and like thinking about it in comparison to the white boy shuffle, like that these experiences are broad, of course. And like, yeah, of course, down to the individual. Uh, I think um, something that I have noticed um, in the last, you know, you know, since since it seems like publishing has given, you know, a little bit more space to writers of color, you know, I think uh, something that is still harder is for writers of color to write books like like this one, which is fucking weird you know he's like a weirdo the weird guy who wrote like we, who writes weird books and I think the sellout even um I don't think it was expected to be as big as it became because I think um I remember around holiday time like uh my friend was trying to find a copy to buy his dad for Christmas and he like couldn't find one because they didn't print enough uh, cause, cause, they, cause they were like, who's, you know, I don't think like anyone expected this like strange ass poetry to, you know, win the first Booker prize by an American and become like a smash hit. Um, and, you know, even now, like years out from the sellout, um, you know, Paul Beatty is kind of in his own little lane. Like he's not, there, there aren't, there aren't like droves of black writers who get to write like whatever they feel like. Um, you know, I think there's still kind of a little bit more of a focus on books that have, you know, this kind of, I mean, look, and this is a book that is very deeply about racial issues and identity and, so, and, and um, you know, social problems. But I think that um, it comes at it from such a wacky oblique angle that, um, that I think that, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a weirder book. Um, and, and it doesn't have the reach of the sellout just because it didn't have, I, I doubt it had that kind of marketing behind it. Um, but, um, yeah, I forget, I'm, I, I'm like rambling now. Well, I forget, <laughs> no, but, but it, those are great like, points. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, yeah, like, it's like, I think that's absolutely true about Beauty's writing. It's just that, like, he is, operating in a space that no one else is able to and I think it's also having established himself as that type of writer far before like the contemporary movement we're seeing um uh in like how fiction looks right now which is a lot more thoughtful like in interior thought kind of the anxiety of of contemporary writing I don't think you could find anywhere in, in, in BD's writing uh, it doesn't read like a, it doesn't read like a 2020s novel and neither does the sellout. Right. It's um like, I don't think you can like go to school to like learn how to write these books. It's no. just like, like, reading about him at school too. Like clearly everything at school, everyone was like, you shouldn't be a writer. You're bad at this. Like whatever you're doing is not working. So, you know, school's not always the answer. Kids. Um <laughs> Yeah. I'm curious about like how you 
like thinking about this book and thinking about your book, they both have like so many cultural reference points and like obviously it reflects so much on the history of LA. How do you like research and then like decide how you're going to pay homage to like the specific histories of LA? Oh yeah, yeah. So th maybe that's kind of what I was starting to think about too. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, look, I'm a very concrete writer. Like um, I, I, you know, I come from PI, PI novels, which, um, which are very grounded in, you know, this is what's outside my window. And this is what happens when you like drive around the city. This is what you're gonna see. And, you know, in, in, in some ways it's like, like it's a, it's a kind of direct capture as much as I can of, um, you know, the people that I, the, the people that I talk to, the places that I see, you know, the kind of, um, the kind of dynamics that I'm able to absorb. Um, and, uh, and so that comes from, you know, kind of growing up in LA, knowing a lot of people who grew up in LA and, you know, driving around LA, um, just knowing this place. I only write about LA, like pretty much. It's, uh, I, I find it really fascinating and also like really endless, you know, there's no, there's no, there's no exhausting the, uh, the material, you know? Um, and so, you know, my, my writing is very, it's driven by kind of like lazy research, you know, um, which is just you know, talking to people about their experiences, um, you know, reading some books, watching some documentaries, watching old news footage, uh, stuff like that. It's very, um, I, I, I try to kind of, it's not journalistic, I'm not a journalist, but it is like kind of going around and like picking up pieces and, um, and trying to kind of weave them together into something that feels convincing because it's made up of like the fabric of reality, you know? Which is like not what Paul Beatty does, you know? I think uh, he, he does some of that. And it's obvious because like there is something, there is something in these books in in white in the white boy shuffle that feels very, you know, it feels very lived in and it feels very kind of brought in from LA, but it's and its surroundings, but it's not like you would not describe this as a grounded book. It is a it is um, you know, it's very fanciful and freewheeling. Um, but I think um you know, I, I, I like I, I wouldn't be surprised if like his kind of method of kind of gathering those pieces also felt just came from, you know, a little bit of natural experience. And then he kind of puts his like magic dust on it. With, I think like specifically thinking we've been talking just like a little bit since it's like the 30, 30 years since the 92 riots this mm -hmm. this year. And um, I think how did you with that specific chunk of LA history, like something we just keep revisiting as a concept and finding as like a common theme in LA fiction is just that like how much LA tries as a city buries these really horrific parts of LA history. Like we read um, Oscar Zeta Costa right before this. So we were talking a lot about the Chicano movement and then even just like, even in reading Chandler, like just how the city was built, like that it's it's such an uneven place. Um, how do you, I'm curious, like with specifically writing about the 92 riots, like how that has lived as a presence. And if that was something that you've like always known you wanted to write about or like as things have gone in the last few years with the rise of 
like the BLM movement, did it become more and more prescient to you? I think um, because I'm Korean American and I kind of came into my writing life because I wanted to write stories about Korean American LA, I knew that I would at some point write about the early 90s because that was such a definitive time for the Korean American community here um, and in this country. You know, we're not like in the news generally, you know, Korean Americans specifically, Asian Americans even, you know, we're kind of like this hidden slice of US life most of the time, you know, kind of racial dynamics when they're explored in public tend to be drawn along black and white lines. And then there was this period where Korean Americans in LA were in the national limelight um, in a conversation about race. And so, you know, I don't remember that time. I, I was born in the, in the mid eighties. So I was like six in 1992. Um, but it is a time period that has become kind of salient in my understanding of my own city. And so I knew that I was gonna want to tangle with it um, in, in some, in some form or another. I didn't know when, I didn't know what the specific book would be until I started reading about Latasha Harlins. Um, and then I knew, you know, because it just, it just felt like that was the story that could, uh, you know, kind of illuminate, um, you know, because it, it, because in real life it has, that is the flashpoint um, of, you know, of talking about like Korean American LA in the, in the, in the nineties and, and, you know, the tensions between like Koreans and, and, you know, Korean grocers and black customers like that, that's the representative story. So I knew that I was, so, so once I kind of dug into that, I was like, okay, this is it. I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to go at it. I'm going to try to take a go at Korean American LA, like through this, uh, through this uh, really complicated prism. <laughs> I, I will also add like, you know, I have, um, you know, like, I think like a lot of Angelinos, I have a lot of pride in the city. And I also think that it could be way better, but I'm also aware that there aren't places that are a lot better, you know, <laughs> in that way. I think it's a very, um, it's a very American city um, in that it is, it does not meet its own ideals, you know, it's not successful on its own terms, um, but um, it's hard to see a place that is. So we also, we always have to kind of strive for something that we haven't seen yet, which is frustrating and scary and, um, and yet totally necessary. Um, you know, and I think that's a, I, and I think that kind of, connects with like Hollywood culture and, you know, this, this separation between image and reality um, that is inherent and to, you know, to every, to, to every American place, you know, maybe every place in the world, but also, you know, kind of, kind of ties in with the fact that we are the dream factory. I think that like LA literature specifically is such an interesting, like, representation of LA because it's like kind of the only place where Hollywood doesn't seem to exist all the time or doesn't need to like be in it yeah um and so I wonder I often wonder if like that's why 
LA literature, LA doesn't seem like a literary city, which it is, but that's why we made this podcast is because people don't think it is. Um, so I'm curious what uh, your, like, no, like your idea of like the LA literary city is or like what the future of LA as like a literary city could be. Yeah, you know, I grew up here and it wasn't until college that I read an LA novel, you know? Uh, I And and it was um, in short succession because it was in a class on American detective fiction. I read The Big Sleep and I read Devil in a Blue Dress. And I was just like, whoa. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, The Big Sleep was the first one. And Chandler is, um, you know, in a lot of the ways, the reason that I became a writer, you know, <laughs> my first book was like a direct response to a Chandler novel, you know. Um, and I think that what really struck me about both of those books, which are period novels, you know, written many, many years before I had read them, um, is that like they kind of captured a different LA um, from the one that I knew, but I could recognize it. Um, and, and it was, the sprawl of the place, that that feeling of multiplicity um, and like kind of endless possibility. That also goes with the PI genre, by the way, um, that um, really fascinated me. Um, and so that's how I came in, you know, with this idea that like LA is this place full of mystery, full of these neighborhoods where you can kind of walk or drive a couple miles and, you know, go from world to world. Um, and that's what struck me about those books, you know, 20, almost 20 years ago. And that's kind of still what keeps me at the table. Um, the fact that you can never run out of stories to tell. Um, and, uh, and since publishing, I mean, and, and, you know, since before publishing too, but like since, since coming across Chandler and Mosley, you know, I've read a lot more LA fiction, but it's more because I seek it out. You know, this wasn't stuff that was like assigned in class, uh, you know, even in LA. Uh, and yeah, it's really vibrant, you know, and I know a lot of writers who are based here, a lot of writers who are from here um, and the things that people are concerned with, um, you know, even within the subset of people that like write fiction, you know, it's, it's pretty broad um, and it captures a lot of the different facets that make up this place. Um, you know, I, I think uh, I, I'm, I'm very proud of LA's literary scene um, and literary culture. You know, I think Skylight is a big part of this. Um, you know, I, I obviously love this bookstore. Um, you know, I met, Paul, I met Paul Beauty there, you know, I, uh, I've met a lot of friends actually at, um, at Skylight. Um, yeah, it's it's because it's a hub of um, the LA lit scene, you know. Um, but it's it's very it's very um, rich. It's very accepting. I think um, I forget who said this, but I think uh, oh, I think J. Ryan Stradle said, said this to me. He said, uh, uh, you know, in um, in like New York public New York publishing is such a big thing and it's so dominant. Um, and in LA, we're just all us like little fiction writers are like we're like over here and then like Hollywood is right here, right? And they're like a million screenwriters. So we're just kind of like, you know, the um, the fiction crowd is smaller and um, and we're not really like the main thing going on here. None of us are famous, you know, it's just, 
So we just get to like write our books and like hang out and talk about them. <laughs> it's great. So chill. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I really think it's like a fantastic note to end this on and to end our season on because like what a yeah. positive, positive vibe um, for, for LA writing. Um, and it's been so great to talk to you and like, yeah, just have such a fabulous representative of, of the LA scene with us. Yeah. yeah. So much for having me. I mean, yeah, yeah I, you know, Skylight has been a big part of my life this last 10 years. So yeah. Happy to do this. Amazing. Well, thank you so thank much. You so much. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon.